Alice. Hi, Ponders. Have you seen Rogue One since we last recorded? Um, no, <laughs> no. Since last we recorded, uh, just a less than a week ago. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't rewatched it. But uh, uh, had had you rewatched it, could could you describe that experience? What would it have been like? Um, I mean, probably would have cried. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I definitely would have had to wrap myself in some sort of warm blanket to chase the sadness mm-hmm. away. You know, the usual. The usual. Last time we talked about um, the Borgullet. Yeah, we talked a lot about Saw We talked about Krennic and and Tarkin and their um, confrontation on the Mm -hmm. Star Destroyer. Um, We talked about the dream that Jin has of her mother uh, when they're on Coruscant. So we left off. We are landing on Jeddah. Uh, We're looking out the window onto the Jeddan landscape. And, And I... I can't remember if I mentioned this last time, but that moment where they, she wakes up from the dream and he says, we're about to land, we're almost there. That's Jeddah. Or what's left of it. We find so, we find your father. And she smiles. And she smiles. It's like, for me, I, I can't put a finger on why, but it is a very Star Wars moment. It feels very much like a Star Wars moment when she looks down at the planet. And I, I just, it's a minor detail, but I really love that little bit of a scene. Um, and I think part of that is because it is so innocent and suge- suggests so much adventure before we get into the the horrors of war that we are about to confront and the guerrilla right. warfare. But it's it's a very innocent, like, we're going down to the planet to accomplish our mission kind of if, feel. And, and if there's going to be any information about her father, it's, it's going there. to be there. Yeah. And for the first time, that's not, like, a bummer to right. hear about. For the first time ever, she's actually thinking, like hearing news about my father, hearing news that comes from my father might actually be good news for right. the first time in 10 years, however many years it's been since yeah. she saw him. 15 years, I think she said. Something like that, yeah. And then we go down to the planet and we get that incredible shot of the Star Destroyer hovering over the city. Yes. Uh, which I know was part of some people's critique, but again, it ties into these like, really incredible shots and gareth edwards does a really good job of having the background tell part of the story just like we had the fallen jedi before you know the opposite of the fallen jedi is the star destroyer hovering over the city like the imposition of the empire so big i and i feel like scale is lost a lot in star wars sometimes when we're doing like really cool space battles and stuff with like star destroyers and death stars and all of these um, the the dread dot from the the last Jedi that huge ship mm-hmm. um, you lose a scale a sense of scale um, because none of it's like real things that you've actually seen but you know what right. a like what a city like if you were to picture a, a city even a small right. city right looks like and then all of a sudden the star destroyer is as big as Jedi City as right. as Ninja uh, and then we get some uh, sassy Jin. Some sassy Jin. We get the most that Jin Erso has ever said in a row so far. Um, she's a lot of nods and a lot of significant glances and, and stuff like that. But she 
she gets a lot of dialogue here, both to Cassian and to K2SO. Um, and they are both, they're so sassy. They're, yes. they're, they're quite rude to each other, um, which is still very much in character. But she calls him target practice. And she, uh, he uh, implies that it wouldn't be such a bad thing if she got shot. Like, right. Yeah. Maybe we should leave target practice here back on the ship. Maybe we should leave target practice behind. Are you talking about me? Because, <laughs> because I think they're going to, you know, you know, try and try to shoot you, but they're going to hit me. And he's like, well, that doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like, dang. Yeah. Wow. You do. I'm surprised you're so concerned with my safety. I'm not. I'm just worried they might miss you and hit me. Doesn't sound so bad to me. And then I think for, uh, for our rebel captains out there, I'm using my newfound terminology. This is the yeah. moment where uh, <laughs> this is the moment where Cassian agrees with Jin and says, "Yeah, you should wait on the ship." And she throws the backpack at K2SO, and then he <laughs> pats it there as if to reaffirm that he's gonna follow the rebel on this one. He I'm he's gonna. gonna stick with the girl she yeah. seems to know what she's doing and yeah. she's totally right k uh, is too used to um to being cassian's right hand man yeah and he, yeah he's kind of jealous yeah he's getting this he's getting the short stick here i i had a, a film teacher in college who uh for one of our lessons took us he he put in like three dvds of examples of chemistry between actors and actresses and uh to show us what chemistry is uh, and whenever I teach a film class years from now, I'll put in Rogue One and I'll show this moment where where Cassian subtly agrees with Jen. It's such a good moment of them jiving together and thinking strategically. And you can see the beginnings of the working of their friendship there. So, Oh, yeah. they. Uh, I mean, they're both so talented that I'm pretty sure Diego Luna or Felicity Jones could have chemistry with a brick wall. Like there, there yeah. was just so good. And I mean, there, there is, there is one that one scene? scene in in this in this part where they're both hiding behind brick walls, and I just think, wow, that brick yeah, wall like, and that actress oh, yeah. were meant to be together. Like, look yeah. at all that chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of keeping their heads down and moving through crowds, uh, as the scene goes on, uh, we start with a couple again really good establishing shots of what the city of, of Jeddah is like what Jeddah city is. It's got the, the um, red garb, uh, the red robed guards walking around. We see a stormtrooper, And I think it's one of my, another, one of my favorite little detailed shots is um, there's a octopus in a frying pan. And Ooh, that's it, like trying to crawl out. That's trying to crawl out. And then it pans and we see Jin walking by. Uh, and then we get another one of these hotly debated scenes in this hmm. film. Which is where they bump into some familiar faces. Yeah. Um. To to be to be honest, I had to look up these guys' names. I think that's a that's the kind of thing that a lot of Star Wars fans just know off the top of their head. And mm. I was like, oh, it's it's the the guys, it's ugly face, and the one who right? can't speak. <laughs> and I did look up their names. They they have regular names and they have code names. Um, their code names I think are Rufu and Saki. 
as far as I can tell. That's like the code names, the like criminal, the cool criminal names gotcha. that they use. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're the ones who. Um, Wait, do, do they have real names? Yeah, but I didn't write those down. Oh, okay. I like their I like their criminal. <laughs> their names criminal better. names are better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they have fully fleshed out backstories, and they're like really sure they do. Yeah. Yeah, because it's Star Wars, and yeah. and everything <laughs> does. Um, yeah. And the expanded universe is so massive. Um, but they, are, yeah, they're the ones that um that were in the Mos Eisley Cantina in A New Hope, right? Um, yeah. yes. One of them loses an arm to Obi-Wan's lightsaber before I they I don't like solo. the way you're looking at me. He doesn't like you. I don't like you either. I don't like you either. That's it. He doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You best be careful. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then Obi-Wan cuts off his arm. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Um, I, I think it's a fun reference, but I can see why people would think that's a little fan service-y. It, it is definitely fan service. I don't, I don't even think it can be contested to have it. It's, it's a, it is a nice reference, though. But... It does raise a small problem, which is that these two men have to be leaving, I guess, because they get off of Jeddah City not half an hour before it's blown up, and their next thought is, let's go to Tatooine and have a drink at the Mos Eisley Cantina. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so they're, they're wandering through the streets of Jeddah. Cassian has a couple of lines couple of lines with this like interesting this like fascinating character that we never get to meet so he walks in and he says i have a contact here and his sister the contact sister is going to get us information and tell us where we can find saw and he's like this like maybe really possibly really interesting character of this sister this girl this woman that we could have met if the city wasn't like on the brink of of destruction isn't it the sister of the first contact did i read that line entirely wrong i thought i thought he says i have a contact who should be returning here and his sister will be waiting at the temple and i think it's the guy who he killed maybe but i got the idea because maybe i mean i actually never really thought about it let me let me just check real quick okay no, no, no. I and I and because I never really thought about it because I was just like, oh, it's just some like unknown contact. Like I bet Cassian has contacts everywhere, but you're probably right. Yeah. So so we have that we have that scene where um uh she says, you know, is all of this because of because of what's going on, this and that. But uh Cassian says, I had a contact, Does one he of say Saw's I had, a contact? I had a contact, one of Saw's rebels, but he's just gone missing. His sister will be looking for him. I had a contact, one of Saw's rabbits. But he's just gone missing. His sister will be looking for him. The temple's been destroyed, but she'll be there waiting. We'll give her your name and hope that gets us a meeting with Saw. Oh, shoot, he does say that. Yes. Why would he lie? He doesn't have any reason to lie about why the contact's gone missing, not to Jin. Well, he's not going to tell Jin that he murdered someone. 
I had yeah. a contact, but something went wrong. I saw this guy, you know, oh, yeah. I guess that's like too much to share. Okay, you're right. You know, because now I'm thinking about Tivix, like I have to get back. And that's when Cassian stops him and is like, to Jeddah? You're going back to Jeddah? Like that's where you're going back yeah. to? Is that where you got this information from? Yeah. That's when he stops him from leaving, when he's like, I gotta go back my arm. Um, yeah. You're, so, no, so you're it's, right. It's his sister it's that's waiting. Sister. Uh, he says, uh, the temple's been destroyed, but she'll be waiting there. We'll give her your name and hope that gets us a meeting with Saw. Hope? Yeah. Rebellions are built on hope. Yeah. Rebellions are built on hope. There you go. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a really good line. It's a beautiful line. Um, and it has then that that line, Rebellions are built are built on hope, has become something that's transcended this movie altogether. Um and I've got a t-shirt that says it. I was just uh, running around Dragon Con with uh with our listener Kelly and she mm -hmm. bought a t-shirt that says it. And nice. it's has become something that's meant that means a lot to a lot of people. It, in in our uh, uh, in a, a a political climate in in turmoil, right. um, this idea of rebellion of of hope of of something bigger has right. stood out a lot to a lot of people. And yeah. this is the first sentence. Cassian says it first. Yep. It becomes Jin like a big moment for Jin later, but it's Cassian's line, and I love it. I think it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And uh, she also does say, is this all because of your pilot? This is where we find out that the uh, the Empire is there looking for the, the pilot. They're, yeah, they're they scanning have a little the hologram streets. of Bodhi's face. Yep. I've yes. seen this pilot. <laughs> yeah. And he looks very cleaned up and very professional in that photograph. Well, and we well, never get a version ID of card. him. <laughs> yeah, we never get a version of him like that throughout the rest of the film. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I always wished that we could have seen more of the city of Jeddah or that we could have seen it like pre-imperial takeover. So I bet it's, it was just so beautiful. And right. you get hints of it that some of the architecture is, is absolutely stunning. It would have been this really great, really beautiful spiritual location for so many people. And now it's just kind of been torn apart by these soldiers. And, yeah. I, um, I also definitely... Uh, get the sense i'm not sure if this is exactly what's going on um but it reminds me a lot of uh actually the bible where the they've turned the temple into a marketplace yeah because the temple just hasn't been used anymore and so it's full of these shops and stuff and it's overrun uh and of course i mean the story isn't the same Christ goes in and flips the tables and says, why are you doing this in my father's house and this and that? And, and sure. nobody's going to come through here and be <laughs> and say that because this is the, the destruction of the city. But it doesn't definitely has that feel of a sacred place that has been turned entirely secular. Um, yeah. And its sacred core is, is hidden in these elements. I mean, um, Cassian has that really great line. They were the, uh, the guardians of the will uh, and, uh, Ever since the the Jedi are gone, they're they're just here causing troubles for everybody. Who are they? The guardians of the wills, protectors of the Kyber Temple. But there's nothing left to protect, so now they're just causing trouble for everybody. Uh, <laughs> right. And and it's like this it's like this little this little thing that they can't get rid of, which is this still 
sacred element of the town that would otherwise let it just drift into a hive of scum and villainy. So I, I really, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Of scum and villainy. <laughs> not, not a more wretched hive in scum and villainy than, than Moss Eisley, but no, you know, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> uh, you can, you can find more wretched hives elsewhere. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, I, I think it's just, again, really good world building and really good, the setting is contributing to the story, especially because most of our, our characters, Jin especially, and Cassian as well, uh, are characters who don't have the sacred core to what they're doing, right? Jin is directly reflected in what Jeddah City has become. She doesn't have this religious religious element to her, although at one point she was raised with that religious element, and it has all become about the self and about her surviving and saving herself and that's sort of the capitalist or i guess the marketplace ethos that has taken over the city and that one element of the religious which is um uh, cheer it calls to the other element of the religious which is the kyber crystal necklace that she has which is this little memory of the force that she has with her mother and so these two elements resonate together and that's the next scene is where uh she just hears uh, that he's repeating this phrase. Um, uh, what, what is he saying? Uh, he says, "May the force of others be with you." Wait for me. He, yeah, he keeps he keeps repeating this, the and then he says, "May the force of others be with you." May the force of others be with you. Trade that necklace for a glimpse into your future. And then and then he says that um, yes. I will. I'll read. I'll read your fortune. You. For the necklace if you give me the necklace and of course she's you know she's got the necklace hidden under layers and layers of clothing um, and he's blind <laughs> and he's super blind right and she's and... like are, are you talking to me yeah <laughs> i think it has a really nice uh vibe of almost like a charlatan uh of like the kind of like oh like let me look into the crystal ball and tell you what's gonna happen for that answer you must pay I'm Chirrut Inwin. How did you know I was wearing a necklace? Well, that answer you must pay. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's <laughs> hamming it up a little bit, too. Yeah, um, and I think it it helps give us a really nice character for Chirrut um, before he becomes what he becomes throughout the rest of the film. Um, that, like, this is his life. It is, it is very much doing this one thing because the thing that he he did do and that he was called to do has been stripped away from him he's no longer a guardian of the wills and of course we we get that like menacing shot of bays in the background like he's just there to protect chariot in case anything goes wrong in case somebody tries to rough him up he is so intimidating yeah very intimidating uh and i would even say at at this point uh with oh no i'm not gonna say that never mind uh i didn't have anything good to say (laughs) (laughs) uh but but we get another really important line in the section this the section is so chock full of these good lines where he says the strongest stars have hearts made of kyber what do you know about kyber crystals my father he he said they powered the jedi's lightsabers jin come on let's go the strongest stars have hearts of kyber Strongest stars of hearts of Kyber. I knew you were going to point. 
point to that one too. And that resonates with Jin. You can see it on her face. She's like, she's like, okay, like this guy, not only does he know I'm wearing a necklace, but he knows it's a Kyber because, because he says, what do you know about Kyber crystals? Um, and, and all she knows is that they used to power a lightsaber, but, and that's probably what most people know about Kyber crystals. Does I mean do, do, do we know? Does she know that that Kyber is sometimes like the material in the heart of a star? Just like it's it's it could be literal. Yeah, sure. A, a a star has a heart of Kyber, and it's a super powerful star. But she's wearing that Kyber crystal right on her heart, mm-hmm. right there on her chest, keeping her mother and her fit and her mother's faith. Not necessarily her faith, but that faith in her mo- in her mother and her family, on in her heart, and it's represented with this kyber crystal. And Chirrut, in his infinite wisdom, somehow knows that. Right, uh, and I don't I don't think we talked about this before, um, but this is maybe one of my favorite lines for a lot of different reasons. Um, first thing is that it it adds to the mythology of the world, and I. I love lines that increase the mythology. Um, one that the the kyber crystal, because um, I don't think the the words kyber crystal are in any of the other films, are they? Mm, I, not in the films, I don't think. It's definitely like expanded universe. Yeah, I, I know. I know that kyber crystal has always been expanded universe, but I don't think they're in the films. And so, one to add the line that kyber crystals power the lightsabers after we've also just found out that kyber crystals power the death star is a really good like mm-hmm. oh the, the death star is kind of a giant lightsaber it's the same technology is this crystal power into right. some sort right. of energy right beam. and it's it's a corruption of the the weapon of the jedi is corrupted into this weapon of mass destruction which is i, I think just a really beautiful like world building in a single line it's it's uh, and, a, and a couple of lines, it's really built this in. But then also to say the strongest stars have hearts made of kyber um, ties us into this really like, uh, I, I'm going to say it, it's a very sad thing about Galen Erso, which is Galen has made two stars. He has Stardust, who is his daughter, and she has a heart of kyber because she has this literal kyber crystal that she hangs around her neck close to her heart. And Galen's other star that he made is the Death Star. And it also has a heart made of Kyber. Um, And ultimately, he's been, like, his whole story can be about creating these two stars who are both the strongest stars. And these two strongest stars fighting it out against each other, essentially. Um, And ultimately, Jin is able to lay the foundation for the Death Star to be destroyed. Um, but But it it all still has this resonance of galen creating these incredibly strong things and having giving them a a central core which is kyber which is directly tied into the force giving them a central power like that gives them the power that flows through everything uh and so i think it all it all just builds so well it's such a great line to to encompass this story and to permeate the rest of the stories in the star wars world i i just love that exactly so like to tie it into a new hope take place minutes after right. <laughs> um after Rogue One and a new hope is the first time we've got we've got Luke 
gets his first lightsaber, which was his father's lightsaber, and it's got the heart of Kyber, and it's a, and and Obi Wan's a more you know, elegant weapon for a civilized age. For a civilized <laughs> age. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. You know, these lightsabers, which we know as, like, from, from the beginning of the film and Luke's training with it, and and then the the, the bad ones, the, the red ones, and how it could be used for good or for evil, for, for, uh, for protection or destruction, and the idea of this faith and this Je- this jedi faith and and this and the force and the and the um the kyber crystals and the lightsabers along with now we know the death star is powered by kyber crystals thank you galen and thank you rogue one for giving us this filled in information and this idea of of this crystal this thing that can be used for such good or for such evil right. um which that that binary that good evil binary is something that Star Wars leans on really heavy. But you've got Rogue One now. We're we're like a little bit more nuanced now. We get this chance to explore the idea that not all the Imperials were bad guys. Some of them were defectors, and some of them, like Galen, were working from the inside to try and sabotage the Death Star. And because Rogue One gets to show us these shades of gray of the original trilogy that we didn't have already, and I I really appreciate that. Importantly, Jin has a kyber crystal, and we have this question of how is she going to use that power, right? And and it it she never uses the kyber crystal. I'm I'm not speaking literally, but it's right. how is she going to act? Is she going to do something for good or something for evil? Because it, that power that's within her, which is her ability to act, like we all have, is the central question: is how 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 is she going to act? So. Yeah. yeah. Such a such a good line. So they they walk away and Jin and Cassian have just like no sense of personal space. They just they're they are they they're like drawn together like magnets. They walk so close together and they're constantly looking over each other's shoulders and they're moving like a single person, like like one unit through this crowd because they're they're both (laughs) so dangerous they are so lethal they're like ready for anything and and they're well trained but then if you think they're like they're kind of young they've been this well trained to move through this kind of crowd and cause this kind of trouble since they were children and uh they have that in common but then then we get into the actual combat this so is we where, have the... where we start fighting. Saw's yeah. people um, make some super classic moves. Snipers running across, you know, across roofs and s- moving their way through crowds. And somebody lobs that grenade that gets the uh, party started, so to yeah. speak. And I think this is where we might drop in. It, it, it's kind of a conversation about this entire section of the film in general. But I think this is a good place to have it of... The use of um, Iraq War imagery, right, um, right, through this I, scene. I did say I think it was last month um, that 
we were about to get into some heavy Vietnam War imagery. That's obviously that's Scarif. Scarif is is Scarif the is entire Vietnam. third act of the film is the the very definition of a Vietnam War film. Um, yeah, this uh, this is pulling really heavily from um, from imagery that we've gotten from the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and, mm-hmm. and all these all you know the Gulf Wars of, of the early 2000s um but definitely some of the shots that we see that that remind me of this are the the sniper on the roof is a really popular one um the grenade being thrown at the tank that's moving through um mm-hmm. as well as there are two other things that really stick out to me which is one um saws um saws men all have what essentially look like hijabs on um they have these head coverings a lot that... of them are wearing pretty pretty severe head coverings yeah right the other image that i think really stands out is the the child um yeah. there's a scene where there's a child crying and she is like paralyzed and can't move and that scene i think resonates through a bunch of films that came out about the iraq war i'm thinking of hurt locker and american sniper and a bunch of films like this where you have the image of the the kid who is kind of caught in the middle of all this um and i think it was a pervasive metaphor of this war that is being fought in urban settings without clearly defined fronts of troops moving through cities trying to find where the the people are hidden right and um, yeah and bystanders and, just getting caught up in the crossfire right and what that means is that there are there are no spaces where it is safe to be a civilian for the people who are being you know being overrun um and so we get we get that sort of image as well and it's it's you know a really brilliant moment where Jin uh shows it's not apathy it it is the exact opposite of apathy she sees a little girl about to be hurt by the kind of warfare by the kind of people that she grew up with she grew up with saw's men and she's about to see this little girl hurt by that and she can't just stand there and let right. it happen. And but so yeah, she goes this, and... this theoretically politically apathetic person dives her entire body into danger to save one little girl. Right. Because it uh, reminds her of herself. Which then leads into this other really important moment that we'll highlight before we come back to the, the Afghanistan imagery thing, uh, which is that once Jin gets the little girl to safety, Jin hides in the crevice of one of the tanks to avoid fire. And one of Saw's men is about to throw a grenade at that very tank. Uh, and of course, Cassian sees this and pew pew shoots the guy, shoots the guy who is one of Saw's men. Uh, that and, puts them in a lot of danger. Right. It was a, a, pretty, a pretty rash move for him to make. Right. So, so through this whole section, um, if we can, if we can divert from the film for a minute to, to like really look at the politics here, um, we have an empire coming in, taking resources to power their machines to, from, from this place. So the analogy here is America going in, uh, to the Gulf, taking out oil to power their machines. Right. That Uh, was pretty, that was pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah. It's very on the nose. Uh, and then we have these militant guerrilla terrorists that are are causing causing havoc for the empire here. Uh, and I think what's so brilliant about this section is that it's not clear 
who exactly we should we should be on the side of throughout this this combat um so so obviously we we want to ally with the rebellion because we we grew up watching the original star wars films and so we know the rebellion is good but this is where we begin to see mon mon mothma's comment of that you know they've caused much trouble for us right uh where these are ethical gray areas of uh you know attacking these tanks and like potentially putting civilians in harm um and then they they do it to you know steal the thing back so we definitely want to side with them but we're also put in the position as american audiences of the the empire here is the one who is you it's kind of putting a mirror up to it um and so i think i think it's too easy to cut and dry say that this scene is a critique of the afghanistan war um i think it's a lot more nuanced than that because throughout it we we want to side with saw's men but we realize their tactics are not ethically in in the good, right? Right. We also want to side with, you know, the people who aren't hurting civilians. <laughs> but we also realize that what they're doing is trying to power a much larger and more deadly weapon with the, the things that they're, they're taking. Right. Um, and so what we're left with is, I think, a really good sense of the same kind of political confusion that Jin and Cassian are kind of caught in the middle of. And Cassian will take more of a stand and say, like, he'll be with the rebellion no matter what. But but we have to just side with them. We don't get to side with or with Saw or Empire. So I was going to say, I was I was trying not to interrupt you because a yeah. couple minutes ago <laughs> I was like, I fully disagree with you. And then you came around, you came back around to to what I, I guess you were getting at the whole time because I was going to interrupt you and say that we do know exactly who to root for in this situation. Yeah, we are we are not supposed to be on Saw's team. We're not supposed to be on the Empire's team. We're never going to be on the Empire's team. Like, it's Star Wars. We're on Jin's team. We're on Cassian's team. And they're on their own team. They are not... They're going to, to fight their way out because right now they are a team and they are a unit and it's just the two of them against everyone else. And what's important is getting out of here alive. And... And yeah, of course they're gonna shoot the empire, like you said. Cassian's would Cassian would say, "Yes, I'm with the rebellion." Saw's not the rebellion at this point, um, so Cassian only now cares about getting him and his out, and Jin has become his. It is now about survival, not about politics. Yeah, in this situation, the ones that we that we need to root for. I think the the point still stands though that there's. There's parts of America in the rebellion, and there are parts of America in the empire. Yes, um, no, it's def- it's not it's not cut and dry here. The metaphor is not perfect. It definitely is meant to invoke some of that right. in you um, right. when you watch it, and you've got this deserty planet, and you've got people with the head coverings, and you've got civilians within marketplaces caught up in this crossfire with this you know, with this, these Imperials with big tanks and locals with, you know, with tiny grenades and stuff like that. You're, yeah, of course, they're trying to make you think about, about footage that has come out from, from the various Middle Eastern wars. Um, And it's, yeah, it's meant to further highlight that, that gray area that, that this movie has been giving us this whole time like yeah. uh, like i said there was a good and evil 
cut and dry, black and white in, in the, the original, original trilogy, but right. we're, this is not the original trilogy anymore. We, this whole movie exists in shades of gray. There's, I think, two notable things before K2SO shows up is uh, the really great, I, I think, uh, 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 play on the, the idea of the scene from uh, a, new, a New Hope where Cassian runs down the he like starts running down the street <laughs> and then all of the the all of the, the, storm uh, the stormtroopers show up and he turns around and turns tail and runs the other way. Very Han. Yeah, it's it's um, like that moment with Han. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and absolutely. The, and and a, a really good. I think I think that is. I think that's a better reference to the original trilogies than bumping into the people in the street. Uh, yeah, because it, it's something that that's very like. Oh, I remember that gag from from the original films isn't it it's it's a and it is a, it's a classic like action movie trope yeah. i'm pretty sure they do it in every action movie series ever where you think you're safe running down the hall and then you're like whoa no uh, there's more uh, of them that way i gotta turn around yep i took this note here um Jin collapses on top of someone to to shield them from an explosion it happens two times oh does it happen it's twice the crying baby girl mm-hmm and Cassian, she jumps right on top of Cassian. There's an explosion behind them, and they go down. And Jin is half on that's top right. of him, shielding him from the explosion. That's just that's just Jin. That's so it's so obvious in this scene that she cares and protects so much more than she wants to let on. Yeah, yeah. it's really awesome. And also that she uh, cares and protects for herself. Uh, and uh, this leads into one of my favorite uh, parts of this scene, and I think I think maybe it plays a little bit funny, but I really appreciate it. Which is this moment where uh, she pulls out her baton her and she just goes yeah. to town on these stormtroopers, and Cassian is just kind of staring at her, dumbfounded. Like oh, oh, he falls like, so in love with her so hard in that. <laughs> it's, it's definitely that, but it's also I think a really good moment of uh what i like in a particularly well told um i want to say the word feminist but a, i want to say like a really well told feminist character um is that the female character can fight and defend themselves and the male character can fight and defend themselves and they can save each other right there's a moment where he saves jin followed by a moment where jin dives on top of him to save him uh and there's this equal exchange of them you know saving each other and, and then being recognizing able... it they nod they, right. they say, i see what you did there thank you right uh and uh i really love this moment where she just goes to town on them and Jin just has like his jaw drop or cassian's jaw just drops and, and he's like uh, okay yeah right. yeah this is good which We're just ends gonna let her do that and and it ends with this really great again i, I think you know we we said you know there's a lot of fighting here and there's not a lot uh, technically going on in terms of dialogue, but there's a lot of characterization, which is when Jin turns around and shoots the Imperial droid, uh, which looks just like K2SO. And I, I think it it kind of says something about uh, Jin getting like really caught up in in this moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that she's she on, just she's shoots. On, um, she's totally on autopilot here. Yeah. She's like, here's some stormtroopers. I got my trenchants. Let's just do it. Right. And because um, she's been training for this kind of fight her whole life. This right. a fight in the streets like Saw Gerrera wants is something she's been doing since she was like eight years old. Yeah. 
um you get the scenes in the in the rebel rising um book where she's learning how to use the treachers for the first time where she's attaching them to her wrist and using them on um what are essentially like scarecrows decked out in um stormtrooper armor and she's she gets taught where the weaknesses in the armor is and Mm -hmm. where where best to hit and then so i was like you're super small you're just that's just you you're just small so you're gonna have to use more of your wits and your speed and Mm -hmm. she doesn't have any wasted hits on these guys she knows exactly where to hit them and exactly where it's gonna hurt and joints in their armor clocks to the head um so she's like oh okay this is what i'm bred for this is Mm -hmm. what i've been doing my whole life right boom i got a blaster i'm gonna shoot this imperial droid that's just second nature to her did you know that wasn't me before you shot (laughs) did you know that wasn't me I thought I told you to stay on the ship. You did, but I thought it was boring, and you were in trouble. Uh, and then, of course, he has a he has a really great great scene where one of the uh, Imperials throws a grenade. Oh. He's holding on to it and, for just like uh, a little too long. Just a little too long, and Jin's like, uh, uh. <laughs> it's it's such a good such a good sound that she makes <laughs> she's like could, could you do something about that and he throws it behind him and blows up five extra stormtroopers uh he says but but you seem to be doing just fine on your own <laughs> you're right i should just go wait on the ship yep. uh, <laughs> it's so funny and i i don't know have we mentioned yet how brilliant alan tidyuk is sk2so have we just have we at all mentioned we how have not mentioned his name but he is incredibly brilliant in this role he's so good as yeah. k2 his voice acting is so funny it's very very well delivered it's um, um it's very marvin the paranoid android um yeah in a way that i think good, good reverence yeah so uh well i should i should contextualize marvin the paranoid android from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh which was a uh, one of the first podcasts ever. <laughs> it, was a, it was a radio play on the BBC, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we can we can that, we can put it in line with our podcast, which was then converted into a novel, which was then converted into a film. And uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android has this very monotone, down to earth, everything is awful kind of voice. And uh, K2SO adapts some of that, but but in a more of a skeptical, analytical sort of way. Uh, And, you know, C-3PO, Marvin the Paranoid Android, K2SO, they all fall in the similar sort of vein of if we were to, you know, make robots that could calculate things as quickly as they can, they would either be scaredy cats in the case of of c3po or they would be uh like depressed like marvin or they would be this sort of snarky uh k2so know-it-all kind of of feel yeah um and i i think that that trope is just such a brilliant use of the the robot that interacts with or the droid that interacts with with the humans so and again we will later have a full three-hour droids rights podcast um that i'm planning for down the line but uh yeah naturally for now i think we've sung the praises so that leads me into i my note here says uh k is the best i wrote that 
And then the next line is that slap, haha. <laughs> because yeah. you go from him with this grenade, just, you know, chucking the grenade and being hilarious to them walking right into a nest of stormtroopers. Right. And K2 is given the unfortunate job of trying to talk his way out of. Where of are you that. taking these prisoners? Where are you taking these prisoners? These are prisoners. Yes, where are you taking them? I am taking them to imprison them in prison. He is taking us to the- Quiet! Quiet! And there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. We'll take them from here. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, and- uh, It's so he- good. He's not, because he's not an improviser. He's a robot. <laughs> like it, it reminds me of Duck Newton trying to lie for any Adventure Zone fans out there. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> can't do it <laughs> yeah yeah cannot cannot talk his way out of the situation very clever and witty but only when it comes to uh being you know skeptical about a current situation he doesn't have the ability to then you know talk his way out of something uh no no which he is, doesn't. which is a really good kind of like i think limitation to place on him and it doesn't really come to bear any other time in the film but but it you know it's one of these things where it just adds to the characterization and uh, it's one of these minor details which again you know between uh, the scriptwriter and Gareth Edwards they they fill this world with so many rich details that are just I mean honestly the reason we can do this podcast because there's so much going on in every scene that we can latch onto and can really explore and say like wow that's that's a really lovely thing that was created there so 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 in this lack of improvisation. Uh, and, or or maybe in the actual most brilliant form of improvisation, K2 slaps Cassian Andor across the face, um, which I read was not scripted. Really? Yep. I read that that wasn't scripted. Huh. Um, and that that was just Alan Tudyuk messing around. And if you look really close, so I don't know if that's true, but if you look really closely at Diego Luna's face, um after he gets slapped in the face he laughs a little yeah he smiles a little i, I saw that the last time i watched it and, and I was it's like... hard to tell if that's cassian <laughs> laughing at Kay being hilarious or if that's or diego, la- if it's laughing, diego at Luna laughing at alan Tudyk. i <laughs> yeah. don't i don't know which one it is it's both i guess it yeah. works yeah it's so brilliant if it, if it was indeed improvised um it's it's a perfect addition to that um, to that moment because yeah. then he gets to be like sorry about the slap like <laughs> yeah uh, they get called out and then this is when we get cheer it in way let them pass in peace the force is with me and I am with the force and I fear nothing for all this as the force wills it. Donnie hey, Yen, right I mean, it, he's a, an absolutely wonderful actor. And he, so when we see Donnie Yen in action um, doing his his martial arts here, that's him. That's all him. He's, yeah. uh, he's actually a, a really highly trained um, fighter. This is his typecast. This is the kind yeah. of role that he plays, someone who is an extremely well-trained well-disciplined um martial artist and so he's he's right in his element he just sinks right into this role it's really good it's really good we uh of course i just want to put a little asterisk here we'll eventually we will come back and have a conversation about diversity and um whether or not he's he's being typecast into this 
um, the sort of like, oh yeah, your 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 one Asian character is really good at martial arts. Way to go! Uh, or I guess your your one, one of three one one of three Asian characters, but uh, one of your Asian characters is really good at martial arts. We'll we'll have this conversation later. Um, we are not going to have it now because we would not ha- we would have to cut into a part three if we were to start that yeah, conversation. It, trust me, when we were first making notes about the creation of this podcast, that was one of the first things yeah, the that first I wanted to dedicate yeah. an entire podcast topic to. So we yeah. will get to it eventually, friends. Don't you fret. But for now, I think I think it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice moment to introduce these two characters. Um, to introduce the sort of um, humor with which uh, Chirrut is fighting, um, which ties into his very like joyful, always positive attitude and outlook, even when he's in in this sort of combat scenario. And it reminds me a lot of the way that Jackie Chan would fight um, in Jackie Chan films, where um, it's use of the environment. There's a couple of really great things that he does. Hey, stop right there. He's blind. Is he deaf? I said stop right there. At one moment, he has grabbed one part of the stormtrooper, and with his stick, he has, like, pronged at the neck so that he can raise the stormtrooper up and down as a shield from the the blasts coming in. Uh, While he's doing that, he kicks the blaster away from a third stormtrooper and then kicks him in the head to knock him out. Right. Uh, the guy is blind. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's a do that. There's a really great moment where he he stabs one of them in the foot and says, "How's your foot doing?" <laughs> is your foot all right? And then the other one is he uses his robe to put it over the the stormtrooper's head and then flips the stormtrooper upside down. It again kind of it ends with this really brilliant moment of him like in this stance holding holding his his uh holding out his um, staff. Uh, staff and all of these stormtroopers come in and you're like, oh no, like uh, he like, he's too uh, far away from he's them. Still, he, he's like still going to go for it, man. It's true. Like, you know, he's going to keep trying. And he tilts his head just a little bit as, as if, as if he hears them coming and in his head, you can hear him say like, oh shoot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, Shucky darns! I can't. Also, I can't handle I this. In that same moment, I think he could probably hear Baze's gun charging up. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, there's so many of them. There's Baze. Like yeah. Baze and, is gonna help me. And it's such a, a good. Again, it it ties into how I think the action in this film is particularly good because there are so many films where um, the action is just quick shots back and forth. You know, let's make the camera shake a bunch and all this and that. Um, but the action throughout this entire section has been very deliberate scenes. Things are happening that help us better understand who these characters are. Be it Jin diving to save the child, be it be uh, Cassian shooting the the person who's going to drop the grenade, all the way down to this moment where they all come in and you're like scared because you just see all of these stormtroopers and you're like something is going to happen and it's not going to look good until Baze shoots all of them in an instant uh and with more precision than any stormtrooper has ever been able to muster no no wasted shots just boom 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 knocks them all down and then the excellent line you almost shot me 
You almost shot me. You're welcome. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Baze, Baze Malbus, played yes. by uh, Zheng Wen, played by Zheng Wen, um, who is uh, an incredibly respected Chinese actor uh, and director and writer and uh, is very, very famous in China, who I had never, ever heard of before. And then I looked him up and this guy has has done so much work writing and acting and directing for so many years. Um, and he's, he is so, he's, he, right. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many times I can say the phrase, he's so good in this movie. And then in this moment gives Jin a chance to show who she is to them. Um, because K2SO, not really thinking about it, not really thinking about who he is, steps up and says, Clear of hostiles. Clear of hostiles. One hostile. He's with us. Be all right. Because Baze immediately is like, that's an Imperial droid. Jin Urso, in this moment, who who has made fun of Kay and who has, you know, called him target practice, who doesn't seem to really even like him all that much. It's really obvious that he yeah, doesn't like and says her he, all He's that okay. Much. He's with us. He's she with jumps us. right in front of him. This is Jin Erso, again, in a nutshell, literally throwing her body into the line of fire for someone that she doesn't know, but she knows needs to be protected. And and Baze and Chirrut get to see it. And yeah. in, in this moment, well, I think... Well, well, Baze gets to see it, Chirrut hears it. Well, all right, that's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, and so they, so Chira probably, rem, you know, they probably remember seeing her in, in the marketplace. Um, they don't really know a lot about her. They remember interacting with her. But... Chira does not remember seeing her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to formulate <laughs> thoughts. I'm not, You're good. I'm not very good with <laughs> word things, apparently. Um, so they interacted with her in the, in the square and Chirrut sensed her kyber crystal and we know how good he is about reading people um and we know how he how he can sense the force that moves around people in certain ways we 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 learn this about him and so the reason he they choose to trust Jin and, and cassie and probably just based on faith that the force has moved around them in a way that makes them trustworthy that makes them friends and then Baze gets to see and Chirrut gets to hear if you're going to make me parse my words so, so much. Um, uh, Jin leap in front of an Imperial droid to, to save this droid that is with her. And this, I think is the beginning of forging this bond that they all, they all, this is where the, the bond is, is, is getting like prepared and the bond between them all is sealed when they watch the city to be destroyed beneath them. Um, but this is the beginning of that. And it's um, it just like, damn. <laughs> just Jin, Jin leaping in front of Kay is such a moment. It's so iconic. Um, because she doesn't, she doesn't care that Kay has been dissing her. She cares that Kay needs protecting. And that's what Cassian asks right away. Um, what is, is he, he, some Jedi? kind of Jedi? Is he Jedi? There are no Jedi here anymore. 
Only dreamers like this fool. The Force did protect me. I protected you. Can you get us to Sulgarath? There, there are no Jedi here. Only fools like this one. Um, fools. And he goes. But go ahead. Oh, fools and dreamers. And dreamers, right? yeah. Which, which and is important. And then he says, the Force did protect me. So I protected you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, which is so cute. Yes. That banter. They're but also, we, we haven't really talked about it, but I want to hold on to that that dreamer line because we're going to get more lines about dreams. And we've already experienced mm-hmm. two dreams now. So yes. dreams are going to play an important uh, role as we move forward with our analysis, bigger analysis of characters. So Yes. Yes. Dreams. Dreams like hope, like, like trust, um, hope, dreams. trust. And all of these things are, are, are so optimistic in this in this world that we've seen which can be so dirty and gritty and terrible and full of death and sadness and child soldiers and civilian deaths and and all of these horrible 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 things um that this movie does not shy away from at all when the series maybe as a whole has a tendency to do that um but the fact that that you still get lines like, like you get, yeah, cheer. It's a dreamer and Jin has hope and all of these things that can't be squashed out of people no mm-hmm. matter what. Yeah. That's uh, very cool. And then we come to the conclusion of our section here, which is that, uh, Saw's men all show up around them mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, they, they're going to get arrested and taken to Saw and Chirrut says, can't you see there are no friends of the Empire here? Can't you see we are no friends of the Empire? <laughs> like, obviously we're not stormtroopers or nothing, right. but they're like, well, this one killed my men. Yeah, say, so... say that to the one who killed our men. Uh, yeah, because and... he, yeah, he's like, Cassian shot that guy. It's true. They're not, friend- they're not friends yeah. of the Empire, but they're certainly not friends of Saw Gerrera. No, and, but... But one of them. Jin is. But Jin is. Yeah, do you want to deliver that line? <laughs> when Jin gets to say the line, when she gets to say, I am the daughter of Galen Erso, it is so, it's so beautiful. The look on her face and the straightness of her spine and this pride for the first time maybe in her entire life. She knows they know exactly who she is. Anyone who kills me and my friends will answer to Saul Guerrera. Because I'm the daughter of Galen Erso. Because I am the daughter of Galen Erso. She admits it out loud. She takes pride in it. And it's, it is so, it's so important for her in this moment. She doesn't even know for sure that being the daughter of Galen or so is something that she can be proud of. Right. For the first time ever. Right. For the first time since she was eight. Right. Um, and it's, I don't know. That's the last, the last note that I took because it's this, this wonderful change for her. This like really like this this moment of character, true character development for her yeah. to to embrace who she truly is. Because she hasn't said her own name yet at this point, I don't think. Yeah. General Draven says, you know, you're, you're Jyn Erso. Right. 
and your father is Galen. And people have been telling her right. who who she is. And and I think I think it's important though that this identity that she she portrays here, because she doesn't say, because I'm Jin Urso, which would Mm-mm. communicate I am the daughter of Galen Urso. Right. She wants to establish her identity as the daughter of Galen Urso because that is the mission with which she is aligning right now. My father, as he was a rebel amongst you, is who I am in this moment, and to act against me is to act against him. Um, and later yes. in the film, it it's not even that that is fully her true self. Later in the film, she will become Jyn Erso, not the daughter of Galen Erso. She is Jyn Erso, which is the daughter of Galen Erso and the daughter of Lyra and the best daughter friend of Galen. Of, right, right, and is all the these only other, other time elements. that she gets to stand up and say who she is right up there on that bridge facing Orson Krennic, her worst nightmare and looks and him who, dead in the eyes. And instead of saying, I'm the daughter of Galen or so she says, I'm Jin or so yeah. daughter of Galen and Lyra. Yes. But at this point still to, to, to say who she is in her own voice and not just having it yelled at her or exactly. She's, she says, I'm the daughter of Galen or so that's right. who I am. And this is why I'm important Yeah, in my own voice. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then Chirik gets a bag put over his head and he goes, Are you kidding me? I'm blind. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm blind. (laughs) So good. Yeah, Yeah, and that's where we decided to to cut this segment. That was uh, 17 whole minutes of film. We learned so much about these characters in 17 minutes yeah. from the way that they look at each other and the way that they walk to the very little dialogue that they that they get to have with each other. We have now established, you know, Jin, Cassie and K2, Bays and Chirrut, five out of our six members of the Rogue One crew as right. a unit together yeah. and what they what they signify to each other. Yeah. And we know where Bodhi is. And we're on our way to picking up our sixth man. Which we will do next time on Rogue Fun. Yay! So in the next episode, we are going to go from uh, the next scene, uh, which is them all being taken into... um, We're going to go from the next scene, which is them all being taken into the Cave of Saw, and we get some establishing shots of uh, the... The uh, gangsters and terrorists in their in their cave, uh, and that's where it's going to start. And it is going to end with the destruction of Jeddah. Uh, yes. And importantly, we are not going to get into the scene where they are going uh, on the ship after Jeddah has been destroyed. We're going to end with the pan yes, up with the with the um, the shot of the ship jumping into high, into. Light speed. Yes, and the the shot pans up, and we see the Death Star, and that is where we are going to end it, because the next scene is going to take us three hours to talk about. So yes, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, and in, in that scene also includes the little bits where we get Tarkin and and yes. Krennic back on the Death Star and yep. the test and, and establishing the test of the first. But the bulk of this scene is going to be Jin. And the Galen or so hologram. Yes. Um, which I'm so excited to talk about. Uh, this episode, I wanted to uh, throw out a couple of Twitter shout outs to people who uh, have been uh, talking to us a bunch uh, on Twitter, uh, specifically uh, Jim Capron, um, who is always interacting with us and tweeting all sorts of really fun stuff about about Rogue One. Um 
uh, and um, Ben Brophy, who uh, used the phrase space C-SPAN the other day in a tweet. And that was just the just the best really good. in regards to how Jin would know what um, what uh, Bail Organa would look like. Right. Um, and then uh, Molly, who um, who said she has the same uh, reaction to seeing Diego's face that I do. Um, so uh, uh, thanks, guys. And 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 I do too. Uh, just, yeah. It's just so good. It's Diego, yeah, man. So good. Um, and so uh, thank thank you all so much for uh, reaching out to us on Twitter. Uh, one last Twitter shout out. I gotta I gotta throw a shout out to my main man, Mister Buddy Duquesne. Buddy Duquesne uh, and I host uh, another podcast together. He's my best friend. He's been my best friend since we were twelve years old, I think um which is <clears throat> however many years ago um and i half about half of my reason for starting this podcast was because i love this movie and buddy duquesne does not love this movie um he is always fighting with me about it when i say it's great he says it's not and he was never like a hater but um i i, I do believe i did mention this in um in the first episode but I said, if I could get one person in the world to change their mind from disliking Rogue One to really liking Rogue One, and if that one person in this whole world was Buddy Duquesne, then I feel like I would have done my job. We are four, five episodes in, not even a half year into making this nope. uh, forever lasting podcast. Yep, totally died. And he told me on the phone the other day that he loves rogue one now Woo, we did it <laughs> we did it <laughs> we did it we made a convert yep so we did it we uh we accomplished our goal um but we are definitely not stopping this podcast we will continue to make it and and just continue to hammer into buddy's head that this is the best star wars movie um sorry buddy but also thank you for listening and i love you very much you're you're my you're my very best friend and I appreciate you. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's that's Twitter yeah. today. So, if you would like to join in the conversation that we are having, you can uh, find us on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod, and we are also on Tumblr at Rogue Fun Podcast. Uh, and if you want, you can use the hashtag Rogue Fun Pod uh, to talk about the show. That way, it's easy for us to find your tweets and call you out on the show. And uh, thank you for being part of the conversation. And uh, yeah, Alice, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Alice White, THP. Uh, THP stands for Those Happy Places. That's the uh, podcast that Buddy and I host. Uh, it's about theme parks, rides, attractions, analyzing them like literature and talking about why they matter. If that sounds good to you, you can find us on uh, wherever podcasts are, are found. Those Happy Places. And where can they find you? Uh, you can find me uh, at TH Ponders most places, uh, Twitter, Instagram, even have a Snapchat, uh, but at TH Ponders. Uh, and I also make another show called Accession about art in art museums. Uh, and that is all the podcasts I make for all you know. And uh, Alice, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. <laughs>